and welcome back to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. <laughs> Planet Mitch joins me today. Planet Mitch, I mean Mitch from Planet 5D joins me today. This is going to be one of those mornings. Mitch, what have you been up to, man? Yeehaw! I just want you to know, because it's not in the show notes, I've been thinking about this for days because I really wanted to rub it in. Uh-oh. So I'm going to rub it in. I sent you an email earlier this week, and it's not in the show notes, and that's okay because it gives me an opportunity to talk about it now. Do you remember I sent you an email from Canon Rumors about a pro mirrorless Canon camera coming? Oh, Didn't yeah. I predict that last week? Oh, man. Okay. I so did. Mitch is absolutely right. I'll try and find the link and put it in the show notes. Uh, I have the link. He sent right it to me right me. away, and I saw it, and then I forgot about it, and then he brings <laughs> it up, tosses it in my face as I'm adding stuff to the show notes. So... I said wrongly, apparently, the last <laughs> week that I didn't think Canon would professionalize their mirrorless system. So I will eat humble crow there. And I do <laughs> own some of their mirrorless systems. This is actually the E1, I believe, EOS 1, yes, OS M, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, they're, they're, they're good for video. They're, the, the focus is on this is awful. So if you're going to take stills with this, not really a thing. But it's got the same sensor as the original 7D or T2i, it supports some Magic Lantern features, and it is very cheap. You can get this set up with the kit lens. It's a 22mm f2, I believe, and you can buy this for like 300 bucks, 299 something like that, so it's super cheap for video shooters. Uh, Cash I, register sound. Yeah, oh. what, do you, what do you think they're going to add to the uh, mirrorless? I mean, I know that we're, we're not in the news section yet, but I'm I know, interested. I know, I know. I I just think that this is where they're going to start trying to compete with the A7S and the GH4 and everything else, as opposed to putting it in the DSLR line. Oh, sure, rub it in. My sound effects are broken today, and you're rubbing it in because I'm using cheapo software, and you're not. Hardware for the win. Hard, hardware for the win, yes. Uh, so I just... I just found this, and I thought it was very fascinating that we happened to just be talking about it last week, and here Canon Rumors is throwing this rumor out that mirrorless, a pro mirrorless camera may be coming. I would love to see a good mirrorless camera with good AF, because right now that is the issue with a lot of the mirrorless cameras. Uh, not so much in the Micro Four Thirds market. Uh, the GH4 has excellent autofocus, but... The Sony lineup, the A7S lineup, even with their upgraded <laughs> AF system, it's still nowhere near as fast or as efficient as Canon's offerings. Especially in low light, the A7S, you better manual focus that thing. And that's that's the thing you want to shoot in low light. You want low light autofocus, and yep. you don't get it. It kind of defeats some of the and? some of the purpose for at least for photography. Uh, yep, I don't know. I find that frustrating as I'll get out. All right, Mitch, are you but, ready well, for the... Whoa, whoa, no. No. You didn't tell us what you were up to. I interrupted and hijacked the whole intro. Well, me, so what I'm going to scale around the studio here. You guys can see this mess on the floor of lenses and kit all over the place. Uh, my office is completely crammed, packed, full of stuff. I've been actually organizing camera bags after going out on several shoots and unfortunately, I was in a hurry when I left those shoots and threw everything 
into uh, bags at random. So now I have no idea where my Micro Four Thirds stuff is mixed in with my Canon stuff, mixed in with my A7S stuff. So it is a giant pile of search and destroy. I am going through everything, finding it, putting it back into the correct bag, putting the labels back on stuff. And I know that sounds meticulous and weird, but nothing worse than grabbing your bag going out on a shoot and missing something important, such as an audio adapter, a lens that you need, a piece of kit that is integral to the shoot, such as a wireless unit, uh, all those things need to be in their place for me to at least look professional when I go yeah. out into the field. Well, that's, so That's one of the worst things for me is I am very disorganized, which is shameful, and I get ready to go shoot something, and I'm like, where the hell is that XYZ? And it's never there. Well, even down to the small stuff, like this cheapo bag from Low Pro here is my GoPro bag. So I have all of Pro my... GoPro bag. Yeah, there's like the Black Edition 3, Black Edition 4, uh, all the battery chargers, everything else that goes along with that is in there. And then I've got... For those of you listening on audio, you're really missing out. Yeah, you are. I'm holding up very various bags here. I love the Tamarack bags. I don't know if you're familiar with uh -huh. them, but very excellent design. Very big, bulky, but super solid. Uh, they've got like a seatbelt material that goes all the way around. I have a bag like this for each one of my kits, so that way everything is completely organized. And you can see a few of those back here on the shelves. Uh, each one of those probably represents $10,000 worth of gear, so. Yikes! Yeah. There's my ka-ching sound again. Yeah, the scary part about having bags like that is they're also extremely convenient for someone to pick up and take. Oh, yeah. So you, you have done a great job of organizing and putting everything together into a bag, and that makes it super easy for someone to come rob you. So, you know. Well, we talked about something about that a long time ago. Do you remember there was, a, like, a Kickstarter or something where you would embed a tracking thing inside the bag and yeah. was connected to your iPhone. And, and that one is actually, wasn't that an inventory system as well, where it was allowing you to kind exactly. of track all yeah. of your property via yeah. near-field communication? Yeah. Did, did that ever come out? I don't know. I'd, we'll have to think about that one because that was, I mean, that's, I think that's a great idea, especially for what you just talked about and worrying about your gear on set and whether or not it's going to walk away. Well, in the early days of shooting, there was many times where I would show up and I would have everything I needed except for the cable to connect the audio adapter or the XLR phantom power box that I needed to power up my boom mic or the field recorder that I was supposed to bring. And it doesn't seem like much, but they're integral to shooting. And if you don't have them, you have to work around it. Pretty soon you're going to end up with bad audio. You're going to have to sacrifice a few shots because you're missing the lens you need. It, it just yeah. turns into a nightmare, and organizational skills are very, very important as a shooter, so make sure you keep those in mind. On that note, what do you think, Mitch? Time for the news? Yes. Sorry, yes. Ten, eight minutes in, yes. Time for the news. Time for the news. Time for the news. All right, first up on the list is actually a Kickstarter. I probably should stop naysaying Kickstarters because we've been talking about them so much lately. Uh, this one's actually from a group that I really like. Uh, Zeke from Aviator sent me a link to this early or late last night, early this morning. I don't know, maybe midnight-ish. Uh, this is a interesting tripod offering, and I know tripods are not the most exciting thing, but this has a 75-millimeter leveling ball built into a carbon fiber system with 
a fluid head. Now the price is very spendy. We're talking $729 for the base model and up to about $1299 for the entire kit. That includes fluid head as well as ball head and other adapters. But while it is super expensive, it is very uh, comparable in price and actually a good value compared to what else is on the market. Mitch, what do you think about spending $1,200 on a ball head tripod like this? Uh, it sounds spendy. Uh, I'm curious to see how stable it is. Uh, Zeke in the demo shows that it uh, has a red mounted on it, but he doesn't stand there and shake it either. So, <laughs> or, you know, in a windy situation, of course, if you dropped a sandbag off of it, it might help. I have a, a side plug. Of course, I know Zeke and uh, Aviator Camera Gear, uh, the, the, uh, what was it called? The, their uh, crane. Aviator, the, the Aviator crane, crane. was the right. little six footer. I have one of those. Love it. Use it all the time. Um, uh -huh. They are not a sponsor of the site, but uh, they are great people. I've met them several times. They are. And super nice. They do a good job with their stuff and they're good with support. Yep. But it, continue, Mitch. I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, because I too like Zeke a lot. He's a really good guy. And uh, I have a three-legged thing tripod, which is a travel tripod, which folds down into the smallest thing you ever saw. I think you you and I have talked about three-legged thing, and I see you yes. frantically searching. And, and this one reminds me of that. So the three-legged thing that I have is a Brian, and I love the fact, you and I have talked about this, and I love the fact that they name their tripods with names, Brian and Paul and whatever, Adam. <laughs> as opposed to XYZ1237. Uh, so you can actually relate to them and figure out what they are more easily. But uh, the, the, the portability of that thing, I use my three-legged thing more than I do the heavier tripods because it's so portable. And if Zeke has gotten a video, because the three-legged thing are all photography tripods. And they're tall, which is the other thing, because I'm six foot two and I need height. Uh, I don't like really short tripods. And the three-legged thing is much taller than the Manfrotto that I have. So I'm always using my three-legged thing. And I don't mean this to be a plug for three-legged thing, but in the video that Zeke did for this new one, uh, he shows how high that one gets too. And I just absolutely applaud him for doing the height issue, because it's it makes a big difference to those of us who are taller. And so I'm really excited to see how this works. To answer your question, $1,200 does seem a little steep, but even the three-legged things are five, 600 bucks. So they're not cheap either. So I was frantically works... looking around the studio to try and find uh, <laughs> my uh, Siri uh, tripod that I use for travel, and I can't seem to get it into hands reach right now. So I'm just going to... Uh, show this real quick on screen. This is actually what I use, and it's about $399. It does not have the 75-millimeter uh, leveling ball, ball which is, is right. unfortunate. And in fact, that's a very expensive add-on for many tripods. Uh, but sure. the nice thing about this guy, price is pretty decent, $400. And it has one leg right here that you can pull off, uh, take the head off of this, and turn it into a monopod. Uh, plus, right. they were smart enough to include a hook here. It goes right. up to seven feet in height, and it supports about 20 pounds. I know they always claim a maximum, you know, this says, what, 
55 pounds. I would not put 55 pounds on this tripod at all. Right. But, you know, 20 pounds is very reasonable to expect. And, you know, it's a it's a good price. Um, I would like to have a more professional video tripod that was lightweight. And it looks like this thing is going to be about four point what four point one pounds from what I'm reading here in the material. Uh, I wonder, though, what the fluid head is like on this guy. It's an interesting offering, but right now I use, I believe, 503s and 501s, and I think I have a 701 somewhere in my right. collection. And, and those are, you know, they're not the best fluid heads, but they're pretty decent. But a home-brewed one, you know, you really have to try it before you can uh, bank on that being the only option. Uh, there is another thing that's unique about this, and it's probably not something you'll see in most tripods. If you scroll down here through his material, this right here is very cool. Uh, you notice that the head folds into right. the legs, and how many tripods do you get that kind of None. compact convenience? Exactly. So right. there's some innovation here. It's interesting. Uh, there's a link to the Kickstarter in the show notes. It's not for everybody at that price, and if you're simply looking for a photography-style tripod that is portable, there are a lot of more affordable options. So keep that in mind. Mitch, you have anything to add on that before we move on? <coughs> Excuse me. You, you cut to me right when I'm coughing. And I, I've, as a beginner, and I'm sure you as a DIY lover, I've always just cringed at tripod prices. Because when you, you're first starting out, you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, that's $400 for a tripod? I mean, you know, heck, I only paid 500 for my DSLR or whatever. But the longer you do stuff like you and I do, the more you really believe in a tripod that is sturdy and maintains well. You don't want to... Because you'll end up, you'll buy a $150 tripod mm -hmm. and then you'll buy another one and then you'll buy another one because they're crap and they fall apart. And it's an investment, just like we talk about investing in lenses. If you invest in a good tripod, it'll last you a long time and it's worth the money. So I'm not sure this one is worth $1,200. We'll have to see, but. I've been shooting on my 501 head for 10 years or better <laughs> in the 503, same, same story. Uh, it's a thing that stays with you for a long time. Now, as far as affordability goes, I always recommend this to people because no one ever checks eBay. Uh, because tripods are one of those things that everybody buys, they are also one of those things that everybody sells. And yep. when they sell them, it depresses the market immensely. So you can buy older 501 heads, which are still very decent fluid heads for the price, with legs in the $170 range. And here's a fluid head from the older version of the 501. This one's uh, $75. Uh, this goes all the way down, but the prices for used uh, 501 heads with uh, legs are very affordable, 180 best offer. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure it costs more to ship these than they're selling them because <laughs> it's fairly expensive to UPS a 190XDB uh, set of legs with a 501 head. So check eBay if you're looking for that. Invest in a good tripod. Uh, check out the Kickstarter if that's your thing. And now for the next thing, and I, actually I'm going to throw this to you, Mitch. What the heck is this tilt shift thing about? Uh that's a very good question. Let me put in show notes times. Um, first of all, this is something we reported on Planet 5D 
a couple of days ago, and it. I have to. I I shouldn't say apologize, but Brett wrote this for me, and the more I dug into it after I, you know, I I initially read it and I said, oh well, cool, this looks cool. Um, but the more I read about it in detail, I'm not sure we covered it in the best way right at the top because it sort of appears from the story that it's like shipping. And what it is, is it's a patent. So Canon has filed a patent to allow you to use any EOS, or I'm sorry, EF lens as a quote-unquote tilt-shift lens. So this isn't a working product yet. It may be in prototype somewhere in Canon's facilities, but it's not something you can go out and buy, which is, I initially thought it was when I first read it. Uh, and according to uh, Eric over at Photography Bay, who was our original source for this, somebody commented, by the way, that it looks like, and this, this all links back together, believe it or not, it looks like this is only compatible with quote-unquote EOS, I'm sorry. Uh, EOS Canon, M. EOS M, thank you. Which, what, what did I start out the show with? A rumor about pro mirrorless cameras. Well, maybe this is an adapter to allow mirrorless cameras because it has to do with the flange length and all that kind of stuff that it probably won't fit on a standard DSLR, but it will fit on the EOS M or the mirrorless stuff. And therefore, this could be a precursor to something really cool coming up from Canon to allow you to use any lens as a tilt shift lens, which would be really rather awesome. Yeah, right now you're limited to what the 90, the 45, and the 24 millimeter tilt shift lenses in their collection. And they're, they're expensive. Yeah, and they're 1800 to $2,000 yeah. easy. Even the right. Russian knockoffs are in the seven to $800 range, which is fairly spendy. Now, as far as flange distance goes, those of you listening to the show will miss out yet again. But here is the EOS M right here. And you can see, because it's mirrorless, the flange distance is extremely narrow. There isn't much distance from here to the sensor itself. And because of that, you can adapt pretty much anything to this camera or to any of the mirrorless bodies, for that matter. And what that gets you is the space here to do whatever you want. So you can put a tilt shift unit in there if you wanted to, or you can put an EOS adapter, which gives you full frame lens adapting capabilities for this guy. It's a really nice system for filmmakers who want to use manual focus lenses because it opens up a wide variety of old Minolta lenses and anything else you can get your hands on. That's what makes this so attractive for the price. But I want a tilt shift in my collection. It's just one of those goofy things that you can't justify buying because when are right. you going to use it? You know, right. I'm going to like force a shot, one shot into a video of a tilt shift, uh, you know, angled across something because I think it's cool. But in reality, it's one of those artistic moves that you just don't use that much in filmmaking. Mitch, even if you had one, would you use it very often? Or you well, do the like little miniature people walking around in the bay or something like that? <laughs> well, that's, that's one way of doing it, right? Uh, it's not, there, there are other purposes like for lining up architecture so that it doesn't look so distorted and stuff like that. Uh, so 
the problem, of course, is, is like you pointed out, let's suppose you're going to go shoot something and you want a tilt shift effect and you've got the 90 millimeter and you really need to have a 30 or something, right? So if you had an adapter that you could use on any of your EOS lenses, I'm sorry, EF lenses, and pass through the electronics, which any of the other current adapters are all... Manual focus. Manual focus stuff. So if you could have that in your kit, and if it wasn't $5,000, right? <laughs> I mean, Lord knows what the pricing would be. Uh, but you know it's it's going to be five hundred to a thousand, I would imagine, because Canada do anything cheaply. But I think it would be certainly an extension to your kit if you ever needed to pull it out. Then you could use whatever lens you needed to. Yeah, so I think it, it looks pretty cool. It'd be interesting we'll to see to what kind of effect you would get on this and like the seventy to two hundred. You know. Oh yeah. Man, you could get really close in on That's... something. Maybe do a tilt shift shot of like a, a small animal dog you know something really i don't know i want to mess with it i do i want to mess with yeah. this and well, I it am, ain't out yet i am super excited about a mirrorless camera from canon uh would definitely jump on that bandwagon Moving on down the line to something I'm also excited about, cheap memory. Uh, memory cards have always been notoriously expensive, but they've been coming down in price as flash memory gets cheaper. I have a bunch of SanDisk micro SD cards in my collection, but I've been getting dropouts lately from them, so I've decided uh -oh. to start testing a few other models. This is the PNY 64-gig card. It's about $27, and I've just run it through the paces. There should be an article up on DSLRFilmNoob.com shortly about this, but look what? at these speeds, Mitch. We're getting 94.17 meg reads and 56 writes. That's more than enough to keep up with HD as well as 4K at 100 meg Kodak on the E1 camera that I've been playing around with. What do you think about cheap memory? Are you willing to take the risk to go with a a brand that's less familiar to you? Well, there's the dilemma, ain't it? Because it, I think it depends upon your shoot, right? And and testing would certainly be the appropriate situation to do that. Because the problem you have is that there's not... I mean, when you say you get dropouts, right? You don't know about it until you get back to the lab. Oh, well, right? okay. So actually with the GoPro, it beeps at you and then just stops. And it's very frustrating. You'll be recording for uh, 45 minutes or so doing different things. And then all of a sudden, beep, 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 beep. And then, you know, memory's too slow. What? What's okay. going on here? You know, and so right. that was my frustration. And I've had that for a while. And it's my own fault, actually. Uh, I'll admit this. Uh, GoPro released an oh. update that throttles the Kodak on the Hero 3 Black Edition that prevents uh, the amount of data being transferred to the card uh, from exceeding the card's limit because SanDisk was over-promising and underperforming in many cases. <laughs> but I refuse to do that because why would I give up a little bit of extra resolution if I don't have to? So I, I never upgraded my Hero 3 Black Edition in that manner. But I also never upgraded my memory cards, and I just lived with it until... I actually had to do a shoot where I, it was causing me enough problems that I went out to buy something. Aha! <laughs> uh -huh. So you're not really uh, encountering this on a higher level, I, I almost said pro camera, but so you're only experiencing this uh, 
tongue's not working today, sorry. On like the GoPro, is that the only place you're running into these dropouts? Yeah, the GoPro and now the E1, as I play with both of those, I've been getting okay. dropouts on my SanDisk cards. And I started looking into it. They're, they're U1 class, which even though SanDisk promises write and read speeds at 45 meg or so, the cards perform up to that mount. So at some point when they're continually writing, they have dropouts where they drop below the minimum threshold to continue huh. to record with uh, 4K footage coming in. So it's not an issue for larger cameras because, of course, you know I have the proper class of transcend cards that I'm using for those. In fact, uh, one of the off-brands I do use, and it's not really off-brand anymore. It used to be back in the day. I have tons of these transcend cards. Never had a problem with them. They do great. Uh, they're slightly less expensive than the SanDisk cards. Uh, they keep up just fine with my GH4 right here. Uh, I will say that they do occasionally drop out if you're recording in the 200 meg Kodak on the GH4, but I don't often do that at 1080p. I record mostly at 4K, a 100 megabit Kodak, so it's not an issue for me. But these cards are way cheaper than I remember them being. Didn't we pay something like a hundred bucks or eighty five dollars for these cards about what six months ago? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Prices are dropping. I, I don't buy Mitch that is many. glassing over on I, me. This is not interesting to him at all. It's 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 just different experience than what I'm used to because again I'm shooting on my five D Mark III almost all the time unless I'm shooting with my iPhone <gasps> and. You know, I'm using CF cards, and so I'm not running into these problems that you are. So I don't, I don't, the only micro SD card I have is uh, in the, uh, God, never mind, the audio recorder, <laughs> the Zoom, H, uh, the H1? Zoom. No, the, the new one, the square uh, one. The anyway. H4N? Yeah. No, the just H6. move on. Man, there are so many models of Zooms now. It's actually kind of hard I know. to remember. Uh, and, and there's more coming all the time. So Go ahead. where I'm going with this is basically now you can buy cards like this that keep up with the right speeds required by a Hero 4 Black Edition, or in this case, the E1 camera that I've been testing out. And they're only $27. And they're 64 gigs, where we were paying probably twice that for 34 gig or 32 gig models earlier this year and, and into the end of last year. So if you need cards and you want more than an hour of recording time, upgrade those old 32 gig cards. Uh, take a look at the PNY offerings. There's also some from Transcend. Samsung has their own brand of cards now. And I found that generally the reviews on Amazon with the Crystal Discmark uh, offerings generally show about what you're going to expect out of these cards. Uh, my results from crystal disc mark on this particular card are slightly better than the average i saw on amazon and they're more than enough to keep up with what i'm doing so i will probably buy a couple more of these and throw them into my bag for that reason now moving on how many down... cards do you have oh man how many cards rough guess uh i've got five of these books and each of these books holds eight cards uh so what's five times eight 40. mitch about 40, 40. And then I've got another book of these CF cards, 32 gig models. Uh, that book holds, I believe, six. So 46 of these. I've got uh, probably 15 or so micro SD cards throughout the studio. 
uh, ranging from two gig all the way up to 128 gig. So you know we're pushing Whoa. pushing into the 60s and 70s range. Uh, okay. it, in fact, I'm looking at my desk right now, and uh, just littered on my desk are these three <laughs> memory cards that are just like scattered about uh, various brands. Actually, these appear to all be Samsung Extreme brand cards. So. Uh, those are the ones that are generally recommended for things like uh, the Blackmagic Pocket that requires high, high data rates. Um, you buy 32 gigs, and then you're like, I need 64. And then you buy 64 gigs, and then you're like, 128 would be great. And yep. in the old days, I used to uh, be somewhat scared of recording anything more than 32 gigs on a single card. And I probably still should be. But I haven't experienced enough failures over the last few years to to concern myself with it. But my reasoning was that you would only have about an hour to an hour and a half of footage on a single card before you moved on. So if you ever lost something, you only lost an hour. Uh, now oh I'm like, eh, it wouldn't it be nice if I didn't have to change cards out all day? So I put a 128 gig card in there. I risk my entire day's shoot, which is uh, not a good idea. Don't do what I do. Um, <laughs> It's never happened to me, knock on wood, but at some point it probably will, and I will be cursing and having to pay back money to my clients. How much? How how often do you find a clip that is corrupted? Uh, not very often. In probably ten years of shooting, I've had it happen to me three times, and Perfect. so it's not uh, enough to like make right. me very f afraid of it, the situation. And in the two two out of the three situations, I was actually able to use. Uh, a program called Disk Digger in order to recover uh, the vast majority of the footage and salvage the project. Uh, there was some stuff I had to do in After Effects because the corrupted file had some weird square artifacting in it, but it wasn't so much as to completely ruin the shoot. And those problems were all on A data cards. I don't know if that's synonymous with A data, but uh, I drop those from my purchasing requisite yeah. I, I no longer yeah. buy any a data products at all uh i don't know if they make good products anymore but that was my experience uh and so it makes me feel safe i would like to see more cameras like the 5d mark III that have two cards and i would love to see features that they implement in their video cameras like the a dual recording where you have a right. backup and a main that would be excellent but you don't really get that and a lot of DSLR options out I'm there. I'm surprised there aren't more, yes. Now, I did actually purchase, and I've got it back here on the shelf, and I rarely use it, a Ninja to back up recordings as I'm in the field. But the only time I ever get that out is when someone's paying such a high amount that if I lost the footage, I would basically be chopping off my own foot. Uh, right. Otherwise, you know... and. The, the two clients I've used that for, it paid for itself, so it's good. You know, I'm I'm happy with it, but otherwise, you know, most of the time, you're doing a a day shoot for like 600 bucks. You know, you're not you're not making enough money to deal with the hassle of bringing out that extra piece of kit. And if you lose that day's worth of footage, your client's gonna be mad at you. But uh, you're only paying me $600, so deal with it, buddy. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, that's not the right attitude to have. And, of course, when I'm talking to people in person, I never say stuff like that. But right. I think it up here. I'm like, man, okay. You know, if you were paying me better hourly rates, I would definitely back up your stuff 100%. Uh, 
let's not talk about my shortcomings though. Let's move on to something that is selling for very affordable now. Uh, you guys have heard me talk multiple times about how much I like the GH4. It's a great camera, not for low light, but good down to a 1600 ISO, which puts it in the 70 Mark One range of quality. Uh, it is a 2x crop factor, but look at the price here, Mitch. 977 on eBay for what? a GH4 body. That is 4K shooting, uh, the joys of the flip-out screen, plus everything else that's offered up in this beautiful, I dare I say it, I love the GH4. It's a great camera. It's uh, it's 977. That's cheaper than a 6D body, and you get 4K internal shooting. You get good video and photos up to 1600 ISO. You get f- all the freaking features that the GH4 offers. It's a joy to use. The menu systems are easy to get around in. Is there a reason not to buy the GH4 now? Uh, there's another one coming. No, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's no. actually probably true. Uh, <laughs> usually this happens every cycle for the GH series from Panasonic. They will do a tick and a talk. So the the talks are the big ones, and the ticks are the, the little changes. From the GH2 to GH3, it was a, a tick, so you didn't get very much in terms of quality change. From the GH3 to GH4, it was like it was a big move. And now we're expecting a iteration at the GH5, and that should be possibly announced, what do you think, NAB this year? That would probably be about the right time to do it, yes. So it's been, it's then been the... Yeah, it's been, and they're starting to cannibalize their their GH4 market with the right the G uh, what is it the GX8, the G7, uh, and a number of other cameras that are like they're very much floating around the GH4, and some of them are even offering up things that the GH4 does not offer, like that in-body stabilization system that's on the GX8. Uh, the GX8s. $1,200, and now the GH4 is falling below that price. The G7 is $600, also offering 4K, but no headphone monitoring and a, a few limited features taken away from it, such as the DCI uh, 4K recording, so you only get UH or uh, Ultra HD out of that guy. Still, I don't know, 977 I almost pulled the trigger on a second GH4 just looking at this. It's, it's such an affordable price. Well, this is I, it's interesting because one of the things that I'm always keeping an eye out for is whether or not it's black market or gray market or U.S. market, and this is actually in the U.S. So it is, and they do include the standard one-year Panasonic warranty uh, perfect in their sales. So that that's where I was actually really surprised. Um, I agree with you. A lot of times you'll see like on Amazon or on eBay a little note that says gray market, warranty void, blah, blah, blah. Or uh, with the GH4, the other thing you have to concern yourself with is if you get the European version, uh, there's a limit artificially imposed on the recording time, whereas the uh, American version has unlimited recording time until you fill up your memory card. So for those of you shooting long format uh, events, uh, you know, concerts, things like that, uh, that is really nice to have so how many hours a day do you spend on ebay i'm interrupting you i'm sorry oh no i don't spend (laughs) any time on ebay honestly um i actually set up an if this then that uh scan so i have i have 15 or 20 scans for items that i'm in the market for 
and ah. I get alerts in my email whenever one of those falls behold below some threshold I set. In this really? case, I set a threshold for $1,000, and it just emailed me and let me know that there was a GH4 available for under huh. $1,000. So that's one thing I do. The other uh, buying technique that I use is camel, camel, camel. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I've heard of that. Yes. I haven't used it. So, I use IFTT, but... So camel, camel, camel actually looks at everything on Amazon and gives you alerts when items that you are interested in fall below a certain point. Uh, there's a lot of sort of day trading going on on Amazon as inventory runs out on certain things and so on. The prices jump up and drop down, it, right. all dependent on how much is available. So if you use Camel, 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 and you're not in a hurry to get an item, uh, you'll get an alert at some point randomly, like, hey, the thing you want is this price. Would you like to buy it now? And you know, then you click on your link, you go to Amazon, you buy it, you get it for a cheaper price than you normally would. And you can see the historic data on how high the price has gotten over the years and how low the price has gotten. So you can kind of figure out what you're willing to spend. So th those are two buying techniques I use. Uh, Mitch, do you spend a lot of time on eBay? Is that your, your daily? Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. I don't. Uh, because I'm trying right now <laughs> to save money and not spend so other than Christmas and my wife's birthday coming up, I'm trying to really pinch my pennies. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about while we're talking about the price of the GH4 is the Sony a7S Mark II. Uh, that camera offers up a lot of the value that you would get out of the GH4, including 4K shooting, but it's full frame. It is great in low light, and it does have that five-axis image stabilization. Mitch, what do you think? If you had $1,000 to spend or $3,000 to spend, would you buy the A7S Mark II or the GH4? <sighs> um, I, would, I would be more tempted to buy the Sony because I've, I've, of the looks of the video that I've seen, I like the Sony look better than the GH4 look. The GH4 still looks very uh, video-esque as opposed to cinematic. And so I would probably go that route just because of that. That is actually something I fight with on a regular basis with the GH4. Is its image is a little bit sterile, I guess, is probably the yeah. word I would use. Um, I generally yeah. have to like crank up a little bit of saturation in post to, to get it to look the way I want. Uh, I am still kind of interested in the Sony a7S too, but... I wish it had the flip-out screen. That would yeah. be yeah. Uh, the linchpin. Now, while we're speaking of the Sony a7S, uh, Mitch, tell me about this firmware issue that is causing black spots on the sun. Huh. This is something that has been a pet peeve of mine for a while, uh, and it, it, it stems from way back in the day when the Canon 5D Mark II was just shipping out i don't know if you remember back in the old days yeah when uh, it still shot actually exactly 30 frames per second yeah uh before they issued a firmware update you could shoot headlights and street lights and get the same little black dot that you have in this sample of from the sony uh which has now been termed the black sun thing and it turns out, you and I have talked about this before. Black Magic uh, was guilty of this, black, I believe. 
Black Magic has been guilty of it. Alexa's guilty of it. Now Sony is guilty of it. Now the caveat is that on the A7S II, this is only happening in PAL versions of the A7S II, according mm -hmm. to Cinema 5D, who was our source for this. The NTSC versions are okay. And if you're shooting in anything but S-Log, you're okay. So it's only happening in S-Log for PAL people. You people who are my PAL. <laughs> um, so, but it, it slays me that we continue to, to ship cameras with software, firmware, with this problem. I mean, Blackmagic was, and they still, on some of the newer cameras, still have the same problem. And can, I mean, Canon was beaten up about the face and head when the 5D Mark II came out. How can you ship a camera with this problem? And it and it kind of slays me because very little is talked about with Sony and and Blackmagic. And I mean, I I read about it, but it wasn't. It's never been the uproar that was when Canon did it. The Blackmagic uh, community was pretty up in arms about it. Uh, Sony though. It's weird that they're only affecting certain settings, which basically points to lazy programming, in yeah, my exactly. personal opinion. like Obviously, they did the checks for the things they were concerned with, you know, uh, the United States orders, and then they kind of sort of <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I bet Fred over here did okay on the European version. Well, we're, we're not even going to worry about checking that. Like, What kind of quality control is going on over there that they're letting something like that slip? I don't, I don't know. Now, it's interesting because I've, you know, this is something that most people probably don't give a rat's ass about, okay? Frankly, you and I don't care. Well, we do care, right? I, I have seen two, and I don't watch that much TV, but I do watch some periodically, and, and I've seen two times, two TV shows on major networks like NBC and CBS, where I have seen the Black Sun problem blatantly in a TV show, which really? surprised like a jeebers out of me. Uh, was it I, news or was it actually like no, a, a series? Commercial TV. Yeah, wow. series TV shows. Because I don't watch the news. That's too depressing. <laughs> um it was it was the first one I can't remember right off the top. I took I the first one the first time I saw it, I, I actually paused the DVR and I took screen grabs. Um because I was like, I've never seen this on real TV before and a, and I've seen it again the second time. Uh it was last year that I saw it. And and I even talked tweeted about it and somebody told me that uh the high end Alexa uh and I, again, I apologize because I don't remember which one they talked about at the time because that was a year ago. Good Lord, I can barely remember yesterday. <laughs> but apparently even the $60,000 Alexa had the Black Sun problem, which just blew me away at the time, which is what they said this particular TV show was being shot on on Twitter. Now, I didn't go in and fact check or I didn't do anything. But anyway, so the Sony A7S II has this problem, and Sony has promised to fix it. So that's good news. Man, imagine being a studio, spending sixty grand or more on a camera, and then having something simple like that get into your production. And you know that would be something that would be very easy to do tracking on and replace with a white spot right. in After Effects, right. or you know anything. Wouldn't you notice that and fix it? 
or maybe they just didn't give a rat's ass about it. They probably did. I mean, and and how many letters of complaint did they get from the general public? Because, oh, in 10 frames on this show, I happen to catch it because I'm paying attention to that kind of stuff. But 99.99999% of the people in the world never even noticed. Yeah, this is kind of a side note, but when I screen what? a feature-length film for the first time, there's a list in my mind of things that I've done completely incorrectly every time. It, you know, it never fails. You mess up on something and you have to live with it because you can't go reshoot it. Right. And you know about all those things and then you wait for the audience reaction. And I would say probably three quarters to even more, like 90% of the time, no one even notices the mistakes. Even if it's like a serious glaring plot issue or <laughs> something that is a continuity error where, or scripts in the scene. You know, I have one scene I shot and there's nothing I can do about it. But there are 18 shots where the script is laying right there on a table and you can even read the title of the movie <laughs> on it. And no one even noticed until I pointed it out. And then they're like, oh, 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 yeah, OK. Oh, I see. But before that, they weren't even looking at it. They didn't see it. They didn't notice it. It wasn't even an issue. And um, you start looking at things like that and you'll see uh, instances in even major feature length films where the boom mic is yep. in the shot. And yep. go on IMDb, it's kind of an interesting Easter egg hunt. Uh, they'll have a list of problems with the film, and it'll tell you what scenes there's a boom mic in the shot, what scenes there's a script in the shot, and so on. So uh, I don't think the general public cares as much as the filmmakers do about the product. No, no they don't. I, I'm You and I are probably a lot more adept at catching some of those things because I'll, I'll do I'll, – I'll see some – some continuity error or something and i'll if i'm watching with my family i'm like hey did you see did you see the mic there or did you did you catch the fact that she had green hair in one scene and red hair in the next or you know i'm exaggerating but those kind of things are fun to go after but like you say typically i my good friend barry anderson shot a short that's a, a real fun short that i love to watch um and there's like three scenes with the the sound guy had his sound cart and he's in the scene i mean he's, he's right there in the scene if you're paying any attention to the background there's the sound guy <laughs> and his cart and there's microphones hanging out and all this kind of stuff and barry didn't even see it until after he had finished the the production and he went oh wait a minute the sound guy's in there so you know and it, it happens we were shooting in um a warehouse a few years ago and uh, the warehouse was on a busy street and uh, there's windows all over the place and we weren't really paying attention to it. We were just going along shooting. We didn't black out any of the windows and we go to look at the footage and you can see people pushing their face up against the windows as we shoot the entire shoot. Like it's just different people walking up and like pressing their face up against the window. There's one guy that just like licks the window up and down for a while and it's like really awkward. And so I had to digitally go in and black out all of the freaking windows in that entire scene in order to cover all of that up. And, you know, we showed the screener without the blackouts and, and no one even caught the people in the background. And it's just you're, you're staring at it like, oh, horrified that this guy is just like licking the window behind these people. And there's nothing you can do about it. And the most flagrant time I, I've actually accomplished this sort of problem is a. Uh, I had a guy that we shot with him like a year ago, and we found out in post that we needed to do one more reshoot. Well, he went from 245 pounds 
to 160 pounds oh. over that time. Lost all this weight. And he looks great. I mean, great job on the weight loss. But in the scene, it ends up he walks around the corner and he goes from fat Jeff to skinny Jeff in like <laughs> one cut. And it's blatantly obvious. And, you know, the scene is a, a, a rip out, gross out scene. So, like, they rip his throat out and blood shoots all over the place and everything. And so we were able to kind of cover that up by just having that as the focus. But I was horrified when I saw it. I'm like, this is never going to work. And people horrified. were like, oh, that's great. You know, that's that's fine. Like, I didn't even notice that he lost, you know, almost a, a whole person walking around the corner. It's no big deal. Like, okay, well, I guess, uh, you know, no one cares except for me. So, oh, well. All right. Yeah, we're, yeah we got we've gone way off Move track. Let's talk about this Lytro thing real quick. You know, uh, now that people are starting to release these 360-degree cameras, we've got that weird Kodak offering. We've got that one from Nokia that's out. The uh, I think it's just a single letter. I don't remember what it's called. Now Lytro's jumping into the game. What do you uh, What do you know about this, Mitch? All I know is what I read about it this morning. Again on Cinema Five D posted this. Uh, we've talked about Lytro several times because they have their fascinating uh, light field technology where you can move around in the scene and refocus and do all that kind of awesome stuff. So they've They've finally announced that they're going to be doing this light field technology inside a video uh, specifically designed for virtual reality headsets. And there's a DJ showing the website right now, and, and it looks kind of bizarre. Stop scrolling, if you will. That's the camera there on the left-hand side which is this thing that looks like a spheroid with the whole... I mean, it looks almost like a planet. Hey, it's a planet! Yeah, that looks like some uh, sort of wacky uh, New Age building design of some kind, you know? Like, yeah. I, when I first saw this image, I thought, wait a minute, is this, like, a structure that they're building in Germany? <laughs> it's or, or is it some kind of bizarre statue? Or, you know, what's going on? And it turns out that's the camera. Weird. And you, if if you keep scroll, do me a favor and keep scrolling because I don't know how much you read that you turned off the sharing. There you go. Scroll <laughs> up just a little bit because there's the back. I'm sorry, down. I want to see that. There's the back end, the server. Holy cow! So what you're talking about? I mean, because imagine the because the Lytro takes. If you take a still image with the Lytro camera, right? It gathers all of this data so that you can refocus and you can actually sort of move around inside the image, right? Now, imagine 24 of those per second being captured and have the ability to be able to virtually move around inside that particular scene. And therefore, you got to have a whole lot of computer processing in the background. So so not only is there this bizarre looking camera, but you've got an entire server array in the background to be able to process and display those images. Man, processing on this has got to be astronomical. Monster. And did you see the price? What is it, 16000 Or <laughs> No. No, they say it's going to be shipping at the end of 2016. And the estimated price is several hundred thousand dollars. Holy cow. So. <laughs> and 
man, how do so, you okay. yeah. now this is not for the faint of heart. Not only is that expensive, but how do you edit something like that? You know, are they just getting background palettes for uh 3D video games? I mean, cuz uh virtual reality is cool and all, but trying to cut from one area to another is very complex. I mean, yeah. You have to have a fluidity in your footage that allows for that sort of thing to happen. Now, you could do sort of stationary areas where you only cover a certain section and you sort of wall off the the amount of space that someone can travel in and then capture 100% of those images all the way around there. But still, man, editing that together or trying to figure out a way in which to interact with that properly is extremely complex and you see the server farm that's required to capture the footage. What about playback? Yeah. What right. are they going to do to run two simultaneous 1080p streams into your eyeballs via a virtual headset to accomplish this sort of playback and then the ability to actually run around? What are your FPS frame rates going to be on this? It's going to be... I don't know. It's going to be crazy. And if... I mean, it's... Take time to watch the video if, you, if you're interested in this, because they talk about the editing. I mean, they briefly show that there is an editing suite. Okay, They don't go into a whole lot of details. But when they deliver this thing, there will be an editing suite. And the second side of that is that they're designing this so that you can plug in any virtual, reala virtual reality headset. So they're not going to be delivering the headset side of it. They're delivering the back end processing so that you can use whatever technology is out at the time to to watch the resulting video. So I I don't know, it's fascinating. I'm looking at this editing it. screen here and I mean it looks like it's a nodal based system with just a crap load of tangents that come off of a base camera shot in order to determine the angle that you're working from. Uh, right. That's that's pretty extreme. And then if they're using Lytro's uh, light technology as well, uh, would that mean that they are capturing uh, multiple depths of field as well with that image sensor so that they're able to uh, move forward and backward in space and time? I mean, this sounds uh -huh. crazy. It uh, does. Now, there is, there is actually one practical use I did see uh, recently, and I don't know where I saw it at, but there's a School of Rock video. Uh, you saw it on planet5d.com. Did I see that on planet5d.com? Yes, uh, go check that out on planet5d.com. But uh, it's a it's an interesting use of a 360-degree camera where they shoot an interactive video. Uh, of course, because it's an interactive video where you can scroll around the whole time, you have to have all of your actors on set and everything has to be performed without any cuts. So it's the kids running in, gathering the instruments doing their voiceovers and so on and, and uh, playing instruments. It's a cute, interesting take on the whole 360-degree uh, interactive thing. But I'm still concerned about the future of this because something like that is very limited and gimmicky unless right. you're doing, I don't know, maybe a theatrical play of some kind where you have the camera in the center and everybody performs around it. I mean, it's really key that the performance goes all the way through to the end. So you need to be able to get people to perfectly perform like a, you know, an hour or a 30 minute segment and on the same location, unless you have someone pick up the camera and carry it to a new location and, and do like a Birdman style transition, right. even that's going to be, the logistics are just out of control. I don't know what it you is. would do with that. So, well, there was a behind the scenes on that school of rock uh, and 
they did talk a lot about how many times they had to rehearse the and it's only like a three and a half minute four minute segment because it's just one song uh the other thing that that bothers me as as a producer of content is that we are so used to focusing people's attention directly on what we want them to see right and even in a film you've got a small little 1080 you know video portion you can i mean you obviously you're going to fill in pieces of that scene but the difficulty of capturing somebody's attention when they can look all the way around and see everything that's going on besides what you're really that's what bothered me and even watching that 360 thing with the school of rock i'm like it's interesting one time but i still more interested in the main subjects than i am the characters in the background I think, though, I that could inspire uh, multiple watches of the same thing because yeah. now you, you watch it kind of the way they have it lined up where everything's going out on in this one section. And then you're like, well, I want to watch that again and see what these people back here were doing. So then you kind right. of pan around. So in that regard, I mean, if you're placing ads against your media, the more times <laughs> they watch it, the, yeah. you know, the more Very revenue true. that comes in. So that part may be Very good. True. But what do you do about you know depth of field? Because, you know, if I have right. shallow depth of field, I've basically eliminated not just what's in front of the camera, but everything in this 360 degree environment. And right. now you're talking about trying to properly expose everything. Well, you're not going to have dramatic lighting or any of those sorts of things because you need everything to be evenly exposed so that when people yep. transition, it's not just into black. Very uh, true. So now, you know, instead of lighting with like high contrast and, and beautiful textures that are made from light, you're going to put what, 10 China balls around and be like, ah, everything's lit, you know, don't worry right. about it. Let's yeah. go. Well, and that's, that's exactly what they had to do in this school of rock thing. So yeah, you're, it's going to look like a freaking soap opera. It, it does. And they, sh they shot it with the GoPro array. So, you know, everything's in focus and, you know, so yeah, very good points, DJ. A lot of different things you have to think about if you're going to go in that direction. This has been plaguing me for the last couple of months as I uh, talk with a couple of computer programmers who are working on editing software for 360-degree cameras. So I've been really trying to wrap my head around all the problems because they asked me to kind of generate a list. So uh, yeah. it, it's it gets complicated fast, and it's a deep dive. But uh, let's move on to another deep dive. More rumors here. We've talked about the mm -hmm. Canon rumors. Let's talk about the Sony rumors. Uh, Sony has kind of abandoned their A-line, uh, A-mount cameras. If you're not familiar with the A99 and so on, uh, those were pretty decent cameras. But they've kind of, because the E-mount series of mirrorless cameras took off, uh, and when I say mirrorless, the A-mount series do use, uh, I believe it's called an SLT or STL. It's a semi-translucent layer uh, right. reflex mirror system as opposed to a normal SLR. But it looks like there's rumors that they're going to be coming out with a high-end A-mount camera in the near term. What do you think about this, Mitch? Are you excited to see Sony kind of continue with that traditional DSLR form factor? Of course I am, because I'm a DSLR guy. We don't know a whole lot about it yet, according to the Sony Alpha Rumors website. Uh, they do have two sources that they are quoting in the story. Uh, so they waited until they had two different sources, which I admire them for doing because it's so easy to publish a rumor when you don't 
really know the people. Anyway, um, I always enjoy seeing bodies that are DSLR form factors because that's that's what I really know and love. Do we know? I I don't know a whole lot about it yet, so I don't know. I think, and this is my personal uh, opinion, that the E-mount side of things, which is their A7S lineup or right. A7 lineup, is it's great, but it's severely lacking in good quality lenses. And I know people are gonna berate me with the Zeiss lenses that are available and and so on, but it's so hard to make lenses for such a narrow flange distance that we're ending up with stuff like the 55 millimeter f1.8 and the 35 millimeter f2, and we're not getting like the the sweet f1.4s and so on that we would normally get out of a full frame body and those lenses are available uh, right out of the shoot for the a mount lineup because before that they were sort of investing all of their uh, research and development into the a mount series now that the a7 has taken off the whole a7 lineup they're kind of trying to shift gears and they it felt like they were abandoning the a mount series uh, if they can bring a lot of the features over from the A7 lineup, you know, maybe a high resolution or the image stabilization on the sensor or, you know, 4K shooting internally, you could really have a camera that feels more like a traditional DSLR, has a lot of lens options that right. are automatic for photographers and gives you like a hybrid of the two. Uh, I still kind of like the idea of a semi-translucent layer or a non-electronic viewfinder. Now, I know we have stuff that uh, provides up, what is it, uh, 8 megapixel, I believe, in that uh, that crazy $7,000 camera for the eyepiece. Uh, it's escaping me, Mitch. I'm, I was throwing it to the you. Leica but then, that we about yeah, last the Leica that we talked about last week. The Leica that we talked about last week. Wasn't that 8 megapixel for the, uh, yeah. the electronic viewfinder? Yeah. So it, it's getting better, but... When I grab my Canon camera and look through the eyepiece, I like that look better than most of the digital viewfinders. And I tell you how much I love my GH4, but you know what? The first month I had this, I was shooting by the ocean and a little bit of water got into it. And now this electronic viewfinder is foggy and oh. it wasn't that crystal clear to begin with. So right. I end up using the flip out screen all the time, but for stills, it's a different experience. You don't want to be doing this all the time while, and for those of you listening, I'm looking down at a flip out screen. It's obnoxious. When you're right. shooting stills, you want to be able to shoot in a more traditional manner where you put it up to your eye, you take the picture and so on. It's, I like that. That yeah. is my thing. Unless you make digital uh, EVFs good enough to refresh at such a rate that it tricks me into thinking that I'm looking at real life, I don't like them. <laughs> and so with the yep. A7 lineup, they're the A lineup from Sony, that would kind of give me that more traditional uh, DSLR feel and still offer up all the stuff that I want from the A7 line. I don't know, Mitch, do you have anything to add to that? Is that a frustration of yours as well? Absolutely. Very, very much true. And I don't really think about it that often because, I mean, we, we get used to 
switching between stills and video, right? And and when you're shooting video on all these cameras, you can't look through the viewfinder, which always sort of ticked me off. Um, and and it kind of bugs me, you know. I talked about putting my money down on the light L16, the one that has the di 16 different mm -hmm. uh, sensors on it. The one of the things that really bugs me is the fact there isn't a viewfinder. It's it's looking at like a smartphone, like the iPhone, when you're taking a picture. And that whole uh, paradigm of shooting that way, still like you, I would much rather look through a viewfinder that's live through a mirror. <laughs> and so that's the one thing that really, really concerns me about shooting with smartphones or anything like that. I don't like looking at LCD. I like putting my eye up to that viewfinder just like you yeah for video a flip out screen is amazingly useful uh you can yeah. aim it any direction you can look at it i especially like the the perspective of chest level shots i know a lot of people will chastise me for shooting that way but i like to look down at my camera and have it sort of at this level as opposed to like up on my shoulder and that's where your flip out screen is great for video but stills no matter yep. what, I want to put it to my eye. And maybe it's yep. because I just grew up with 35 millimeter film and got used to that sort of form factor, but that's my thing. And I, I know now I see like my cousins and my nephews, they're <laughs> like, well, I can't touch this screen. The screen is stupid. Like, yeah. how am I going to uh -huh. do anything with this picture? You know, well, uh, come on, man. Can you really frame a shot by, you know, trying to hold something out like this? Maybe you can, but it's just not as nice and convenient as the old fashioned way. And I feel like that old man that's just like, you kids get off my lawn. But it's like, <laughs> really, I want this thing in these cameras. And that's my fear as we move to uh, mirrorless cameras is that the EVF will not keep up with the technology. And we're going to end up with probably like a five or six year window of sort of crummy to middle of the road EVFs that aren't good enough until such time as the technology gets affordable to get into smaller cameras. Obviously, Leica can include that in their $7,000 camera, but that is not actually a budget-conscious camera, so we're not going to see that trickle down to these other models, probably in the near term at least. Yeah. Well, and, and look at the quote-unquote EVFs that we have for video cameras, right? The ones like red, the red one and the Zacuto, for example, has a really high resolution EVF that we saw at NAB. And what's the price tag on those? Several thousand dollars or <laughs> yeah, more. Ugh. Exactly. So I yeah, I agree with you a thousand percent on that. I'm, and yes, I grew up in pointing a camera from my eye in order to take stills. My daughter yay. My daughters who are growing up with the smartphones are much less addicted to that. Now, my daughter who is using my Canon 5D Mark II right now is obviously shooting a lot of stills and she really likes using the viewfinder. So there is there is a lot to be said for that. The other thing is the diopter, the ability to uh, change the focus for those of us who wear glasses is very yeah. nice. Uh, yeah. You don't have quite as much range with that focus change on an EVF. So those are my rants. I'm excited to see uh, Sony to continue their A-mount lineup. Uh, there are a lot of great A-mount lenses, and I will tell you right now, this adapter here does not fix all the problems with the AF system and so on on an E-mount body. And 
For those of you listening, this is the A mount to E mount adapter, the the four version that does have the translucent flip out mirror that Sony is known for. So, so that's a Sony product there. Yeah, this is um. Yeah. So this is an A mount lens right here. You can see the flange distance, and this is where your Sony A7S sits. And right. this particular model is the full frame. It's got the translucent mirror inside. You can kind of see that there. Never right. stick your finger in there because that's a problem. Uh, this adds some of the focusing features that are available in the uh, A99 lineup, but it doesn't quite fix all the issues. Plus, it's made out of plastic. You've got this big nub now, and it sort of defeats the purpose of a mirrorless camera because when you get a mirrorless right. camera you're thinking okay this is going to be small it's going to be right. cute it's going to be little but then you add chunks like this to it and suddenly it is not small it is not little it is not cute and that is another issue with this camera as well this is the EOS M that I'm holding up here this camera allows you to adapt to anything but at some point when you're adapting to anything your camera doesn't get the lens your lens gets the camera <laughs> So then you have this tiny yeah. little body, you know, strapped to a lens and you have to figure out some way to brace the lens onto a device. You add a 50 millimeter F12 or a 55 millimeter from the old uh, Nikon lineup or even Canon's FD series lenses from back in the day. And suddenly this thing becomes very front heavy, whereas we have cute little lenses like this 22 millimeter F2. And hopefully, if they expand their uh, mirrorless lineup, we'll see some good lenses in the M form factor. But yeah, Mitch is holding it up right now. <laughs> Look at this beast. The this seventy is... to two hundred, right? Yeah, it's a beast, and, and there is no. I mean, I mean, this is they put the adapter on there or the the mount plate on there because otherwise you'd be totally screwed. This is a seventy to two hundred party because I mean, here's mine right here. Woo! IS, right? IS. Now, do you have the Mark? Okay. I mean, this is yes, side note. Do you have the Mark II? All yes. right. So I'm still rocking the original. So you have beaten me, good sir, in your lens lineup for that well, one well, at least. For that one, yes. For that one compared to the 6,000 lenses you have. But, I mean, the that lens never leaves my camera right now. I love it for stills. And I, I just shot... Uh, two seniors. <laughs> I wish we'd come up with another word because I'm so focused on gun control right you know. You shot two elderly people. Shot, and it, it, that's I what shot, it sounds like when you say you shot two seniors. Yeah. I shot two high school seniors a couple of weeks ago and shot nothing but that lens. And I love it. It looks so great. Mine still and, has blood on the front of it. Fake blood. Oh, from the last uh, horror scene. I generally use my 70 to 200 as a way to stay away from extreme sprays. <laughs> uh, you know, when you have, like, a, a special effects, There's practical a effects going, uh, blood is shooting all over the place from these air pump cannons and so on, and you don't want to be on top of the action because your camera will be completely covered in gore. Uh, so you can either use a glass plate in front of you or you can use the 70 to 200 and get your distance that way. Or making film tips from DJ... Oh. On DSLR Film Noob Podcast. All right. Uh, I have one last thing, but we're pushing uh, hour 10. So I'm just going to yep. quickly say that the XA35 is out. If you are into camcorders, it's a decent camcorder, uh, fairly reasonably priced, has an excellent zoom range of 26 to 
576 millimeters, 35 millimeter equivalent. That's crazy. Uh, good low light. If you're interested in camcorders, check it out. Otherwise, that was my lackluster talk on that one. <laughs> Mitch, do you have anything else to add before we get out of here, man? I, I mean, if there are plenty of people who are still shooting with uh, cameras that are like those video cams that you just showed. So Canon is obviously attempting to hit that market. The XC10 that we talked about at length before is, is in that range. So there's All still right. people who need those kind of cameras. Man, now you got me wanting to talk about it. Okay, oh. let's just dig in real quick. Oh. Uh, even though this is a long show, the XA35 and is the is the successor to the XA25, which was released, I believe, in 2013 or 2014. Uh, it's an iterate, iterative update, but where this is interesting is compare it to the XC10. The XC10, which is the uh, 4K little handheld shooting camera that's sort of mimicking a DSLR, is missing regular standard things like, oh, I don't know, XLR inputs, uh, <laughs> a handle that's more of a video form factor, and so on, because it's trying to emulate a freaking DSLR. Now, where this gets funny to me is that Panasonic has this guy right here, which is the HC X1000, which is a 4K-capable video camera, same one and a two-thirds MOS sensor. Uh, MOS is just a fancy way of saying CMOS sensor. Uh, basically the same zoom range. Actually, I think this has a little bit more reach. And it is priced in the same price point as both the XC and the XA series. About $3,000. Uh, you can find this on sale for 2500 bucks, And it has everything. You've got XLR inputs. You've got regular focus rings. You've got normal button control systems. You've got a good flip-out screen that recesses into the handle. I mean, I don't know. When people tell me that the the X uh, the XC10 is a revolutionary camera, I point them to other brands that have been doing much better work for a number of years. It is extremely frustrating to me to to see someone preach about how great the XC10 is, and then to go look at the 4K market that's currently available and see all of these proper actual cameras with fixed lenses that have a very good zoom range and all the features that I would expect out of an ENG-style camera. Uh, what is the point of the freaking XC10? I, I know some people love it. That's great. But you're wrong. You are wrong. <laughs> well, okay, DJ. Uh, since you bring this up now, again, there are different flavors for different people. I know. And no one's wrong. Actually. I apologize. That was just me getting out of control here. All opinion, not true fact. Uh, cause we had a blog post about the XC10 a couple of weeks ago and I was really surprised. We asked for people to comment. Is that your dog? Yeah. There's an animal trying to attack me. <laughs> Well, uh, anyway, there are several people who chimed in who absolutely love the XC10. It doesn't require a rig. It's got great picture quality, no more, blah, blah, blah. You could read through all of the, their reasons. One guy has even purchased two of them because he thinks it's a great camera. So, Again, Canon's not necessarily targeting you shooting horror films in 4K with the XC10, but there are people who are finding plenty of use for it. And so we just have to, I, I said this before, when you, 
you first put it up, the, the new Canon cameras, there's obviously a market for these cameras because otherwise Canon wouldn't release them. They're not stupid people. They know they're going to sell enough of those to make a profit. They're not going to sell, put out a camera that isn't going to be purchased. And if you don't happen to like it, that's okay. But realize that they're not dumb and they will put out a camera that they know will sell. Oh yeah. And these, so the, XC10 is less attractive, but the XA series, I completely see where that camera falls into the lineup. I mean, you have basically everything that you used to get out of, remember the F series cameras, the F300 and F350 from what, about four or five years ago? Those were great super zoom all-in-one cameras, but they were relatively bulky. Uh, These XA series has all the features of that in basically a, a handicam format. That is a very attractive offering for, you know, local news gathering, for uh, people shooting events, you know, anything where you need a good camera, but you don't really want to fuss around with all the rest of the crap that goes along with, you know, shooting on a more professional camera. The XC10, and I'm looking right now, um, if you want to get a good deal on it, eBay, $2,079, so $400 off of retail, uh, it's it's still in that fussy range. I mean, the form factor, the layout, it's not super convenient for someone who doesn't do a lot of work with video. It's, I don't know what the market is. And I know that you know what the market is. I have yet to meet the person in real life that <laughs> actually says, you know, this is great. And it's it's like the Windows phone farce. You know, you always hear people say, yeah, Windows phones are great. Well, oh, yeah, have you met anybody in real life who's used a Windows phone? No, you haven't because they don't, they don't exist. They're not out there. They don't run around like on the subway with a Windows phone and say, hey, look, you know, and the, the XC10 I feel like is in the same category. Like someone uses it. Obviously, there's a market for it. But have you ever met that person in real life? You know, how many of these are just sitting on shelves or, you know, being used for a, a fixed studio environment production type of, of offering? I, I don't know. They're out there somewhere, right? Maybe? Yes. Well, if if you read the article and there are – I posted a link in the show notes uh, that you can find a couple of people that are shooting with the XC10. Uh, they like it a lot. One of the guys is using it for uh, – Small drones and stuff. Anyway, we don't need to spend all day. Hi, puppy. This is the guy that's attacking me. This He's is happy. This is Gizmo, the Papillon. For those of you who don't normally see my crazy dogs. <laughs> He's swimming. He's wound up. My tables. All right. On that note, I think it's about time to get out of here, Mitch. Where yes, can sir. people find you, sir? I'm on a website called planet5d.com. Just pretend I had my super sound effects playing because I don't know what the hell happened and they weren't working. You and can of, also find me at planetmitch.com. And of course, guys, you can find this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and anywhere podcasts are distributed. You can find me on Twitter at DSLR Film Noob. And of course, make sure to like, subscribe, and do all those other things because Hero wants you to this is hero oh, so i'm getting the cute cuteness out of Ooh. out of this stuff right now see, uh so vote for vote for dj's podcast because you see cute dogs if nothing else yeah right? hero's a lot less enthusiastic about being on camera as you can tell uh yes i am a small dog and, owner and he's a star because he has a star name tag oh hey there you go uh, 
<laughs> All right. Anyway. It's getting weird. Oh, um, thanks. Yeah, thanks, thanks for watching. Thanks for watching. We'll see you guys next time on another episode of DSLR Film Noob Podcast. Exciting.